0: And you turn over to Matthew chapter 7 this morning, Matthew chapter 7, working our way through the book of uh, the gospel of Matthew, and we find ourselves at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is warning us of the uh, false prophets, and last week we looked at uh, verses 15 to 20, and we just want to finish up there today. In uh, Matthew chapter 7. So uh, let me just begin reading in verse 13 down to verse uh, 23. Enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, have we not cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Father, we ask your blessing upon your word this morning, pray you'd open our hearts to its truth, that we would be able to apply it and uh, be built up in our faith as a result of hearing your word we thank you in jesus precious name amen last week we began this text and we looked at uh basically the idea of of jesus warning us that there will be false prophets and uh you remember uh if you're old enough back uh when uh jim jones took all those people from across the bay actually down to uh the country there and and uh I think close to a 1,000 people ended up, or over a 1,000 people, ended up losing their life in the uh, Jonestown uh, suicide thing they did down there. He was a cultic leader, a false prophet. He started out actually as a Baptist minister. And uh, you see that sometimes a false prophet isn't easily uh, recognized. Or even more recently down in Waco where you had uh, uh, David Koresh, Um, And you see these these individuals who uh, his real name was actually Vernon Wayne Howell, and he changed it to David Koresh when he had this following. And uh, you look at these people's character and their teaching and their lifestyle and the approach of a false prophet, and that's what we want to kind of delve into a little bit today. We want to see how can we tell if we're... uh, under the the teaching of a false prophet or if you're you're hearing a false prophet how do we know the difference uh practically for us so we can stay away from them that's what we looked at last week that we shouldn't have anything to do with with that uh and it was a tragedy that uh, um i think it was 73 or 83 or 23 people uh were children of the 76 people who died in waco and uh it's just it's just a horrible horrible end and you know the tragedy isn't necessarily that those people died, everybody's going to die one day, uh, sooner or later, we're all going to die. But th- the tragedy is that these people were following somebody that told them they were on the road to heaven and if they were just be faithful to their church and their teachings and everything that one day they would be in paradise with them. Unfortunately, um, that's not how it worked out. Um, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us that Satan is a liar, he's a deceiver. And his emissaries masquerade as angels of light. So it's not like a false teacher walks around with a big placard on his forehead. I am a false teacher. Follow me to hell. Uh, that's not what happens. Um, even in Matthew twenty four twenty four, Jesus promises us that many are going to arise, many false Christs, many false prophets will arise, and they'll even do great signs and wonders, even as much as to try to deceive the elect. Um, and so it's not always obvious who these false teachers are some are obvious you have heretics we looked at these last week they openly defy god exists and the truth they just openly defy that and uh, heretics would pit themselves against the bible or anything spiritual in any way they're very flagrant they don't fool anybody they're not trying to fool anybody Um, also there's a group called the apostates and they know the truth but basically they turn their back on it and they seek to deceive others those people are, are pretty much uh very obvious but there's a third group and i think that's what jesus is talking about here when he talks about false prophets in verse 15 he's talking about those who willingly seek to deceive openly people um they 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 want their that's their agenda Uh, They really want to deceive people. The the text last week we looked at was that they come to you in sheep's clothing, all right? They don't look like false teachers. They don't look like uh, heretics or apostates. They don't don't look like a, a false Christ. They look like the real thing. And they're wooing people to come to heaven with them. The only problem is they're not on their way to heaven because they've turned their back on the truth. And see, the Spirit of God is calling people to the narrow gate, as we read this morning. And false prophets stand at that crossroads of life, the narrow gate and the broad gate, and they're there wooing people to the Broadway, trying to get them on the way that leads to hell. And there's a lot of different ways that they they deal with this. You can't just fit them in a mold. They're all over the place, really. They wear all kinds of clothes and even... Um, You know, ritual garb and you look at somebody and you think, wow, that that person must be um, spiritual. They act religious. And you have to stop and you have to say, okay, but what are they teaching? What are they teaching? What are they saying? What are the words that are coming out of their mouth? And more importantly, what are they not teaching? What are they not saying? I think that's even more important than what they say because a lot of these guys seem to say the right things. And so we have to be careful of that. We have to be aware of that. Last week we looked at the definition of a, of a prophet, and it was one who speaks forth or speaks before, uh, in our case, the Word of God. Um, false prophets were found in the Old Testament, and a true prophet was known by two things we looked at. They had a divine commission from God, and they also had a divine message from God. And uh, today we believe that divine message is the Bible. And so whenever you see somebody up teaching something other than the Bible, you've got to wonder, what are they doing? If they're, if they're called to preach and teach God's Word, why aren't they doing just that? And so we saw the, the, the definition there and also the, the danger of it because he tells us to beware of false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets. And we have to make sure that we understand what that means. It means to hold your mind back from, to hold your mind back from, in other words don't be exposed to these people. Don't open your mind to these folks. It's very dangerous. They always have an element of truth. They're always going to sound pretty good. They're going to make you feel good. But in the end it's very important to understand that they don't hold the truth. Turn over to 2nd John all the way in the back of your New Testaments between 1st and 3rd John. 2nd John right before Revelation. And 2 John 7 kind of illustrates this, what I'm trying to get across as far as the danger here. He says in verse 7 of 2 John, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. In other words, they don't hold a biblical view of who Jesus is and what he did. Um, What are we going to do when we run into such a person? Okay, well, first of all, in verse 7, it says that we should recognize that this person is a what? It says a deceiver and an antichrist. They're a deceiver and an antichrist. And then verse 8 tells us, Look to yourselves that you do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. In other words, if you're deceived by a false prophet, you won't lose your salvation, but you could possibly lose reward. That you've worked for. You won't forfeit your salvation. And then verse 10 goes on and it says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor bid him uh, uh, God's speed. Don't say, God bless you. Uh, in other words, don't expose yourselves to these people. Don't wish them well. And you say, well, that doesn't sound nice. Well, they're not nice. They don't teach the truth. Um, they're very deceptive and they're very dangerous. And that's what we kind of uh, looked at last, last week. And it's very important that we understand that aspect of this, this danger because a lot of times people say, well, you know, I like to listen to so-and-so or so-and-so and you can go on through the names, whoever it may be. But, you know, it's, it's important to understand that are they teaching the Word of God? Uh, you have to protect yourself from these people. And the only way to really do that is to stay in the Word of God, uh, to stay um, committed to reading and to, to learning and to understanding the the, the Bible as we know it. Um, you've got to continue in the things that you have learned. And that's what Paul told Timothy. Um, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, and it's able to make you wise unto salvation. Uh, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, that you may be what? Perfect, it says. And so it's important that we understand that that perfect doesn't mean that you're sinless. It just means mature in your faith. So you give yourself to the study of scriptures, and when something pops up, somebody's not teaching what the Bible says, you'll be more apt to recognize it rather than just sit back and say, oh, isn't that nice? Um, Peter said in First 1 Peter 1.13, "Gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind." In other words, we have to take control of our minds. We have to take control of what goes in and what what goes out of our minds. What are we dwelling on? And if you keep your mind full of the Scriptures, if you if you get together and have Bible studies and pray for one another and, and things like that, uh, you know you won't be taken off guard when a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing comes your way to try to tear you apart and to try to knock your faith down you'll be able to stand on solid ground on the Word of God. And you notice that last week we saw this deception. You know, they don't come to you wearing a sign, I'm a false prophet. They come to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they cloak themselves with religiosity and you look at, well, isn't that person a good person? Look at all the good they're doing. Look at all the people they're reaching. And we saw this morning in, in Matthew seven twenty three, Jesus The ultimate end of these people will be, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's the warning that we see in Jesus' warning to us. We also see in Scripture another aspect of warning. We can call it watching. (laughs) We, We can watch. See, there's many false people, false prophets out there claiming to be Christians today. There's many true believers that are linking arms together with them and saying, yeah, this is, this is good. This is good. Let's all just you know get in a circle and join hands and sing Kumbaya and God is love and, and everything will be okay. Uh, that's not what the Bible calls us to do. So how do we you know, tell the difference between these two, between a false and a true prophet of God? Well, look at Matthew 7. And he tells us right here in the text, in Matthew 7, verse 16, he says, you will know them by their what? By their fruits. Okay. You will know them by their fruits. Very clear. Now, this isn't a, a, a command that you're, you're to, to watch out, beware of them, you know, don't have anything to do with them. No, he's not saying that but it's an assurance to us. He's assuring us that, hey, if you're a true believer, you're going to understand who these people are that I'm warning you about. And you have to watch out for them. Verse 20 says, wherefore by their fruits, you shall know them. It's a proverb that says like root, like fruit. And that's so true. See the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans all said that a tree is judged by its fruit. If you if I, if I say I have an orange tree in my backyard and you come over and 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 you you ask me, you know, hey, where's your orange tree? And I say, oh, it's right out there. And I'm pointing to a maple tree. You're going to say that's not an orange tree. Oh, yeah, it is. Prove it. How am I going to prove it? I've got to prove it. I got to show you the fruit. Okay, if there's no fruit on there, if there's no oranges on there, then you know, you, you, you'd be right in saying, well, you're a liar because there's, there's no fruit there. And so just because a person is associated with Christians, and this is so important to understand, it doesn't mean that he can't be a false prophet. See, they're in amongst us and Christians are deceived just as, as easy as anybody else by false prophets. And in, in Matthew seven sixteen, basically identifies these false prophets. It says they're Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? And the question is, well, no, that's silly. Or, he goes on, he says, Or figs from thistles. No, that would be kind of crazy. That's not where you would find grapes or figs growing on that kind of vine because they don't exist there. But see, what they were doing... In Jesus' day, and that's mainly who he's talking about here, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about very religious people. He's talking about people who would would take grapes and take figs and attach them to themselves so that when people looked at them, they would say, oh, they do have some fruit there. Look at the Christians hanging around that teacher. That must be an okay person. And so false teachers, false prophets have the ability to reach out and take a real piece of fruit and attach it to themselves. So when you look at them, you're saying, oh, there is a grape on that thistle bush or a fig on that thistle bush until you get up closely and you see that the grape is just stuck on one of the thorns. It's a mirage. It's not real. The fruit is real, but it's just attached to it or a fig to a thistle. They have the same ability to deceive, and that's why we have to be so careful because they're not not out there saying, hey, we're false teachers. We're on our way to hell, and we want you to come with us. No, they're saying, hey, we're on our way to heaven, and we're sharing the truth with you. And yeah, we believe Jesus is Lord. We even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe all these things, and they'll tell you anything that you want to hear. But see, the principle here in verses 17 and 18 is very simple. Good trees make good fruit and bad trees make bad fruit. It's very simple. That's what Jesus is trying to share with us. A bad tree will have bad fruit, not because it looks bad. See, it's not like you're looking at a good tree and it's all full and there's just, you know, tons of fruit hanging off and you got a little stick over here and it's got one little shriveled up apple on it and you're going, "Hmm, which one's bad?" No, that's not the picture. He's painting. Both trees almost look identical. You can't tell by the outward appearance. That's why in 1st Samuel 16:7 it says, "God doesn't evaluate men on the outward appearance, nor should we." But he looks at their hearts. And so when you look at a false prophet, you might see real fruit attached to them. But it's only stuck on a thorn or a thistle that's sticking out of them. And the fruit that he really produces is going to be bad. And you may not see that at first. No matter what he looks like or she looks like on the outside. Well, there's four things I want to look at this morning dealing with false prophets. And the first one is their character, their character. What are you looking for when you examine a person's fruit? When you examine the life of a person that might be a false prophet, I want you to ask yourself these three questions. What kind of character does he have, first of all? What is his personality like? And what are his attitudes and his actions like? You look at his motives, you look at his thoughts, you look at the perspective that he has toward life, you examine the lifestyle, you watch how he, he acts, how he thinks. And character really is this first element that manifests fruit. And the Bible really kind of confirms that. Turn over to Matt, uh, Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Because this is not only true of false prophets. It's also true of believers. Our character matters. What fruit are we producing? Uh, In in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, John the Baptist said to this group of scribes and Pharisees, here's what he said to them in verse 8. He says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of what? Repentance, right? And do not... Begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, and and so forth. But he says, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. See, he's, he's telling them, you say that you've repented, you've committed yourselves to God. Well, let's see the fruit. Let's check out the fruit. And look at verse 10. Starting with verse 10, he says, and the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? In verse 11, he answered them, and he said, he who has two tunics, let him... Be Uh, Give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized, and he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. What's he saying there? he's saying basically there should be a change. John the Baptist was telling people that the fruit of repentance included giving to someone in need. It also said basically taking not more than what you deserve. Fruit is an action. It's a lifestyle. Sometimes we think of it just as maybe a It it may be manifest in somebody's doctrine or whatever, but it's really the way we act. That's the fruit that is in our lives. That's why in John 15, verse 8, Jesus said, "In In this my Father is glorified, that you what? That you bear much fruit. Well, how do you bear fruit? Verse 10 tells us in that same text in John 15 that we keep His commandments. In other words, we do what the Word of God tells us to do. Fruit is basically obedience. It's obedience to what the Word of God says. And it's an action in response to God's commands. That's exactly what it is. Galatians five twenty two twenty three. 23, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. I mean, all those things are attitudes that are behind the actions that you're doing. And so you not only look at somebody's actions, but you also have to look at their attitudes. And where they're at, and really, the Bible talks of of false prophets in First or Second Peter chapter two as being spots, uh, basically that are blemishes, reveling in their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. See. The difference between a a false prophet and a true prophet is the false prophet may look all adorned on the outside and you may look and and say, wow, they have an education, they have all this stuff, okay? But on the inside, they're still a rotting corpse because they've never been transformed by the power of God. They cover themselves up with all the robes and all the Christian lifestyle and the Christian words and everything else. They make themselves look good by belonging to Christian organizations, working with Christian leaders, talking about the Bible, Jesus, salvation, all those things. False prophets hide the truth, though, of the real life. And sometimes you can detect it right away and sometimes you can't. I mean, the Pharisees, think of if back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees looked good. People didn't look at a Pharisee and go, look at that unrighteous, you know, disgusting person. No, they, you know, they wore robes and they were out, you know, fasting and praying and tithing. They appeared to have good lives. They didn't openly commit murder or adultery. But when you stopped and you examined their lives more carefully, you found skeletons in their moral closets. And you have to be careful you have to look at their attitudes. You have to be aware that, you know what, it's, it's important. Sometimes people can fulfill all the actions. You look at their life and they're, they're doing everything right. Well, what's their attitude? Is their attitude the kind of attitude that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount? Are they broken? Do they mourn over sin? Or are they filled with pride? Is their agenda to bring honor and glorify glory to God? Or is their agenda to bring honor and glory to themselves and build their own little palace and their own little tower? Um, see, you have to be careful. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 27 to the Pharisees and scribes, he called them white sepulchers, white graves that, that look beautiful on the outside. They're all, they're all white, they look pure. And then he says, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all, all uncleanness. See, Jesus has been trying to communicate to us as believers throughout this whole time we've been in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that it's what's on the inside that counts. Anybody can come to church. Anybody can dress up. Anybody can, you know, put on a face of happiness or, or say a prayer before a meal or, or, you know, crack open a Bible once in a while. Anybody can do that. That's not what it's about. What's on the inside? Has God transformed your heart on the inside so that it flows outward? That's the most important thing. And that's what he's trying to communicate to them. Don't be drawn away by these Pharisees and these these scribes and these other false teachers who look real good on the outside, but really they're, they're not sharing the truth with you. They're just having you conform to a bunch of rules and regulations and if you do that, well, then you're one of them. And they think somehow that eventually that's going to get them to heaven. And the Bible says just the opposite. It says if that's your attitude, Isaiah 64, 6 says that it's your, your, your self-worth and your, your self-righteousness and all that, your own goodness is as filthy rags before a holy God. Speaking of, of menstrual clothes, when a woman is in that time, that's what it's talking about. That doesn't please God. Do you mourn over your sin? Are you poor in spirit? Are you meek? Do you hunger for thirst and righteousness and you long for mercy? Are you a peacemaker? All those things is what God is looking for. But the false prophet is one who's absorbed with pride, with power, with prestige, promotion. They're always looking for another buck to feed the monster that they created. We gotta be on more channels. Oh, we're gonna be coming off off the air if you don't give me more money and, and all this stuff. In the meanwhile, they're living in lavishly in their vacation homes and driving, flying their learjets and, and all sorts of things. And people are just playing down almost stupid when it comes to that and they, they don't they don't see it. And they think because somebody's on the television promising them that their prayer is gonna be answered if if they send in their money and, and you know It's just ridiculous. There's no discernment whatsoever. And we need to say enough. We need to stay away from people like that and get back to what the Bible says. Someone once said, these false prophets sell Jesus like he's a cheap glass and not a diamond. See, they're, they're involved in religion for prestige. They're involved for their own self, to build their own self worth. They're self centered, proud, jealous of others, impure. And Jesus says basically don't have anything to do with them. Um, we have to be careful today in the day and age we live in. That's the character. Well, also, you can tell a false prophet by their creed. By their creed. In other words, what are they teaching? Because a false prophet's teaching will be wrong. It will be wrong. And it's not so much, like I said, it's not so much what he, what he or she teaches, but what don't they teach. That's the more important question. In Matthew 12, it says, verse 33 and 34, it says, "...Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit." And then he says this, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For by the words, for, uh, by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. In other words, Jesus is saying, be very careful what a person is saying. Listen carefully to what a person is saying. Do they speak from the Bible? Do they give the whole counsel of God from beginning to end? Or are they just pulling out parts here and there to make it say whatever they want? In Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 26 and 27, Paul said this, Wherefore I testify unto you this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. It's so important that we, we take the whole Bible and not just pull bits and pieces out of it to, to make a nice little sermon. You know, that's why I believe in teaching through the Word of God. Yeah, it takes longer. Sometimes it's not as entertaining. But you know what? I, I don't care. That's the only thing I think that's important is that we understand and make plain what this book is saying. And the only way I know how to do that is do it within its context. We can make this book say whatever we want. People have done it over the years. You pull a verse out here, you pull a verse out there, and pretty soon, you know, you've got a whole new belief system. But you always want to take the Word of God and you always want to teach the Word of God within the context in which it was given to us. It's very important that we, that we understand that. Someone said, you show me a man who does not teach from God's Word and I'll show you a false prophet. See, I mean, some false prophets, they talk about the Bible. They got a Bible. They hold the Bible. You know, they even declare a statement sometimes. Then they set it on the shelf and go off and teach whatever they want to teach. Because, see, you have to understand, a false prophet can't be exposed to the truth, the light of the Word of God and continue to do what they do. So they just kind of set it aside. And if a am person does not teach god's word scripture then more than likely he's someone who's seeking to deceive somebody along the way compare what a person teaches to the bible don't ever sit out there and say oh well the pastor said this or steve said this or you know who cares it doesn't matter what i say i say some stupid things sometimes i mean granted and i say them in some stupid ways sometimes You know, it's not my words that count. It's what the Word of God says. If you're in the Word of God, you can't go wrong. There's a couple ways you can tell a false prophet when they're they're handling the Word of God um, because they always have a twisted view of Christ's person, who Christ is, and His work. What was Christ's work? Well, our salvation. What do they believe about salvation? When you deal with a false prophet, you always look at what they teach about salvation. You always look at what they teach about Christ. They can have everything else right. But if they don't have those elements right, they're going to be all mixed up. They have a doctrinal misunderstanding, unfortunately. I mean, we've looked at it over the last couple of weeks. Verse 13 of Matthew 7, it says that you must go through the narrow gate. It's a constricted gate. In the end of verse 14 in Matthew 7, it says, Few are there that find it. In other words, there's not going to be a lot of people that go through that gate. In other words, the Lord's saying it's not easy to be saved. It's not easy. And we have this modern day gospel that, oh, yeah, it's easy. Sure it is. It's not true. Jesus said, you have to agonize to enter that gate. That's what it means. It's a hard way. It's not going to just come to you when you're sleeping one night. But a false prophet doesn't teach that. His doctrine of salvation says, well, the way to heaven, you know, it's it's a big road. And everybody can go. It doesn't matter what you believe. We don't want to get hung up on doctrinal issues here. You know, God is greater than that. He transcends doctrine. God is love. All you have to do is just believe in Jesus. They may even throw in a little bit about Jesus' death and resurrection. It sounds like they're preaching the gospel. But basically, the message is, hey, anybody can go to heaven. All you've got to do is sign the dotted line, raise the hand, give another five bucks, whatever it is. False prophets generally have a cheap doctrine of salvation. They have a cheap view of Christ and His work. They say a person can become saved by signing a card or walking an aisle or raising a hand or just, just love Jesus. That's all you have to do is love Jesus. doesn't matter what your life is like. You can come to Christ as your Savior. Don't worry about the Lord's stuff. You'll grow into that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus never taught that, ever. False prophets do not even teach that there is a narrow gate. See, the deception is what they, in, in what they don't say because they don't want to offend anybody because they have a platform that they need to feed. And when they start offending people, well, the platform's going to shrink and the monies aren't going to be coming in. Their message generally is one of comfort, of happiness. They're usually praised by liberals, sometimes even by evangelicals. False prophets may even present Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, but they don't say anything about the narrow gate. They don't say anything about agonizing to be saved. They teach easy believism. They teach easy salvation. All you have to do is come down the aisle, get baptized, do whatever, join the church. And their message is one that emphasizes health, happiness, positive thinking, wealth, all that stuff. They're all over the place. And they're compromisers false prophets say everything is fine. Everything will be fine. Just speak, speak money into that wallet or, you know, speak peace into your life. It's like going to a Tony Rob- Robbins seminar or something like that. It's ridiculous. The things they don't talk about, you won't hear talk about repentance. You don't hear talk about judgment. You don't hear talk about being broken before a holy God. You don't hear talk about having a contrite heart or deep sorrow over your sin because their words are words of comfort, of positive, kind of, you know, this just lovey-dovey kind of stuff. And that's why people flock to them. People ask me, "Why why do so many people go to these people's churches if they're false prophets? Because they like what they hear think about it. I mean, do you want to go to go to a place and, and maybe hear some conviction and, and be a little convicted yourself? Or do you want to go and, hey, everything's all right. Let's just have another party for Jesus. They like happy Holy Spirit healers, positive thinkers, and cheap grace preachers. That's exactly what they are. And they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace, as Jeremiah 614 says Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about false prophets, they're mostly characterized by an almost entire absence of doctrine Go to a church, if you're visiting a church you ask the pastor do you teach doctrine in this church? A lot of pastors say, oh no, no, we don't get into doctrinal issues That's what they'll say because they're throwing the net wide. They want everybody to come to their church. They don't want to talk about doctrine. They don't want to talk about theology. And everything that they say is kind of vague and, and out there. False prophets don't talk about holiness, obedience, accountability, righteousness, justice, and judgment. But they focus on happiness, health, positive thinking, easy believism. There's never a call for repentance I want to read a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said that it's unlike the, the evangelism we see today is unlike the evangelism of John Wesley, George Whitfield, and the Puritans. Here's what he said. John Bunyan tells us in his Grace Abounding a book that he endured an agony of repentance for 18 months. There does not seem to be much room for that today. Repentance means that you realize that you are guilty, that you're a vile sinner in the presence of God, that you are hell-bound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you, that you long to get rid of it and that you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, the world and its mind and its outlook as well as its practice And you deny yourself and you take up the cross and you go after Christ. Your nearest and dearest, the whole world may call you a fool or say that you're some religious maniac. You may have to suffer financially, but it makes no difference. That's repentance. See, false prophets don't preach like that. They're vague about everything. Arthur Pink said this, Was a theologian, he says, "Certain, certain it is, my reader, that any preacher who rejects God's law, who denies repentance to be a condition of salvation, who assures the giddy and godless that they are loved by God, who declares that saving faith is nothing more than an act of the will which every person has the power to perform, is a false prophet and should be shunned as a deadly plague. Pretty strong statement. How do you detect a false prophet by their fruits? you look at their character, you look at their creed. What do they believe? You also look at their converts second peter two two says many will follow their pernicious ways. See part of a leader's fruit is are, are their, their converts Paul called fruit uh, called converts fruit in 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 Romans 1.13. Do you see humility in the lives of the people following? These individuals? Or are they just looking for another blessing? They're just on the Jesus bandwagon. Look at who, what crowd is following them. And the last thing, their, their consummation. In, in Matthew 7, verse 19, here's what it says will happen to false prophets and their followers unless they come to Christ. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit... Is cut down and is cast into the fire. See, ultimately, you can tell a false prophet by the condemnation he'll receive. That's what you're gonna you're gonna see one day. And you might ask the question, "Well, why would God allow false prophets to exist? Why has God ordained them to exist?" In First Corinthians, chapter eleven. It says this in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19. It tells us why. It says, For there must also be factions among you. For there must also be heresies among you, is another way to say it. There must be. And you say, Well, why does the Lord allow these heretical teachings and all this stuff? Why does the Lord allow false prophets to trouble us? Well, He tells us at the end of that verse that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, heresy is kind of a magnet that draws false disciples and leaves the legitimate true ones. It's kind of like the the Bible speaks of the wind blowing the chaff away. See, error separates chaff and the wheat. And with the existence of both true and false prophets who look the same... Almost on the outside, God reveals ultimately who is genuine. Generally speaking, false prophets ordained by God to draw ungodly people to themselves. That's part of God's judgment. He doesn't want to cloud the issues for us here. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven to twelve says, For this cause God shall send some strong delusion. In other words, they, they, they won't be able to grasp the truth. That they should believe the lie. That they all might be judged who believe not the truth. You don't think truth matters? Truth matters, beloved. And God allows a delusion because it attracts those who reject Christ. It separates them from the true believers. So the next time you're going through the channels or reading material or whatever. You know, you, you want to be thinking, all right? Is this, is this person teaching the Bible? Is this person teaching the truth? We want to watch out. We've been warned. We also want to watch out for false prophets. They look just like believers. They'll be pleasant, sincere people who want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about the Bible. They even want to talk about salvation. They won't be offensive in any way. They'll even accommodate your viewpoints. They don't criticize others. And you'll see a large crowd around them. You have to be careful. The false prophet doesn't talk about the narrow way. They talk about God's love. They don't talk about his wrath you know, it's so important for us to understand that, you know, we we take joy in the fact that God saved us. We're on our way to heaven. We praise God for that, that it wasn't, you know, by works that we've done. It's by his grace. But we also have to remember that unless he saved us, we would be on our way to a very real place called hell. It's a very real place. It's not some make-believe place. You don't just die and then lay in the grave and rot. You go to one of two places. If you, if you are in Christ, if you trust in Christ your Savior, you're on your way to heaven to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But if you don't know Christ, okay, you're, you're, you're going to be thrown into a place of, of fire and torment for eternity. Not just, you know, okay, a couple hours or a couple days or a couple years or a hundred years or a thousand years or a million years. You're talking eternity here. Totally apart from God. See, nothing is said about that today. Nothing is said about a holy God whose only children are those who put faith in Christ because that's kind of a narrow message and people don't like to hear that. But that's what the Bible says. You can tell a false prophet because their message definitely has gaps. They leave out the truth that truly saves. In conclusion... In the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul warns the Ephesian elders. And here's what he says in verse 29 31 of Acts, chapter 29, or chapter 20, verse 29. Acts 20, 29. He says, For I know this. That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And then he says this, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word makes it very clear that there are false prophets out there. There are false teachers. And Lord, they're not always easily recognized. Father, we thank you that we can put our faith, our trust in your word as our protection. And Lord, that as we compare teachings that are out there with what your word says. Father, either it lines up or it doesn't. And Lord, we all have maybe different opinions on different passages and and maybe even hold different theological views. We're not talking about these minute uh, differences in our theology. But we're talking about the main differences in who is christ and what did his work accomplish and how are you saved those are main issues today that people are are really getting messed up and they're being deceived and so father we pray that you would enable us through your spirit to see your truth for what it is to put our hope and our faith in your spirit to give us that discernment that we need. So when we are listening to someone teach the word of God, whether it be here on a Sunday morning or another church or on TV or reading a book, whatever we're putting in our mind in in any different uh, way that we do this, Lord, I, I pray that we would filter it through your word. Lord, that you would give us kind of a supernatural discernment. And Lord, if we pick up something that's not right, Lord, that we would shun it, that we would not entertain ourselves with these things. That we would grow closer to you, Father. We pray this morning. If there's anyone here who is yet to put their faith, their trust in you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they would hear very loud and clear that their eternity is at stake. And Lord, I pray that they would recognize the stakes that are that are kind of on the table here. And Lord, not one of us is guaranteed another breath. It's only by your grace that we take the next breath or get up the next day. Lord, our lives could be taken from us at any moment. And Lord, we know that that's your divine plan, but Lord, we pray for those who don't know you. We pray that you would open their hearts to you. Father, that you would break their hearts, that you would help them to recognize their sinful, dark, wicked heart is not pleasing to you. And Father, the only way it can be is if they come to Christ, they come to the cross, and they cry out to you, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in their heart even now, as only you can. It's not easy to be saved, but you can be. You can be saved. It takes a legitimate cry from a a lost heart to a holy God, and he'll save you. It's not something you do, something he does. You put your faith and trust in Christ this morning. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Pray that you bless us as we uh, uh, close with a song. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.